Good morning, Garden City. There we go. That's good. Uh, I brought balloons this morning because it is New Year's and Happy New Year's balloons. So I, I, I try to stay festive as much as possible um, to recognize events and those different types of things. Everybody have a good New Year's? Everybody? That's awesome. You might have any traditions for New Year's that, that you guys do and... Anybody? No? Okay. No traditions. Just kissing. All right. That's a tradition every day for old Kemp. Man, y'all. Y'all got to. So y'all either play a role in me not behaving or behaving. Um, we have a tradition that we do, that I did when we were growing up, and I probably haven't done it in a long time, but we did it this year because my mom is up with us visiting. And so some of you may be able to relate to this, some of you may not, and it's okay if you can't. But for New Year's Day, we always ate black eyed peas on New Year's. I got some black eyed pea people in the congregation, amen. Well, and here's the here's tricky part about it is, is that, and I don't know if this is a thing or if my mother just says this, but she puts a penny in the bottom of the pot when she's cooking them. Nobody else does that. So my mom has been swindling me all these years that it's, that it's right and that it's good. The good thing is the black eyed peas are great. Everybody's alive that ate them, and the penny didn't do anything to us. It, we're great, so we're all alive. Amen. Um, had an opportunity on Friday evening to watch a documentary. Any documentary lovers in here? Love documentaries? Okay. I'm going to see how many hands I get with this one. Any hockey lovers? One. Good. Um, and so in this, the documentary is about the miracle on ice. And the Miracle on Ice is about the 1980 Olympic team um, that defeated the Russians in the Olympics and won the gold medal. I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know a lot about it. I didn't pay a lot of attention to it because at the end of the day, it wasn't necessarily a sport that I follow. But I do like following really good stories. And to me, the goodness of the story was centered around who the head coach was of the U.S. soccer team. His name was Herb Brooks. And... What's, what's really, I think, ironic about this is, is that I think it was back in the 1950s, he was actually selected to play in the USA um, hockey team, but the day before they was about to leave, the coach cut him because there was another guy who came that the coach really liked, and so somebody had to go, so it was Coach Brooks. And then to kind of to fast forward, he became one of the best hockey coaches um, in the collegiate ranks, because he coached at the University of Wisconsin. And he was one of the best coaches, and he was selected to be the coach of the USA's um, hockey team. And so the hockey team of that time was the Russian hockey team. They won, like, ridiculously. And to compare them would be comparing them, like, to the New England Patriots, right? Um, they won, like, five gold medals, and they were just beating everybody. And they were really a, a men amongst boys. These were grown men who were playing soccer, and it was kind of their profession. It was their job. This is what they did. And Coach Brooks, what he had to do was he inherited 
a lot of 18 to 20-year-old young men that were either in college or fresh out of college. And they were undisciplined. They were young, so he had to really train them. He had to educate them on the importance of the game. And the goal, obviously, was to beat the Russians, but before they could win a gold medal, they had to beat and defeat the Russians. But even before they got to that, what he realized is that, man, i got to really train them on how to become a team and what that looks like. Because in these young men, what you had was you had, they came from different colleges. And so they played against each other, and some of them even had rivalries. So some of the young men that were from Boston, at that time there was a big heated and hated rivalry with the University of Minnesota hockey team. And so he had to really think and ponder, how do I get them out of thinking about their school or the university they come from to thinking about USA hockey and about who we are and who we're going to be? Because before we can ever beat the Russians, before we can ever win a gold medal, I got to really shift their thinking in their mind to think as one and to think as a team, okay? And so we talked last week about how do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus from a standpoint of how do we continue to kind of run this race? And how do we run it always looking into Jesus, who's the author and the finisher, the beginning of the end of our faith? And how do we do this really well? And I, and I went in to talk to you guys about how, you know, man, Brother Kemp, Pastor Coach, man, I'm really not one that likes to run. It's not really my thing. I'm never going to get up and put on some shoes and say, hey, I'm just going to go run down the street. But I do do a form of running because I like to play racquetball, I like to play basketball, so that involves running. You can't play those games and walk. And so the one thing that we despise or I despise against running or working out and whatever your thing might be is it's not the act of running, but it's the act of the suffering that happens as a result of those things, right? That, that's really what it is. It's the suffering that comes with having to run and having to be a part of that. So I want to look right now at Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. It's the thing about technology, if I can ever remember the passcode. All right, so we're in. So when we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, through, going through verse 7. I'm going to read this out of the message translations because in other translations, it kind of gives, uh, it kind of gives more, more of the male connotation like sons, but this talks about us all. It talks about us as children. And I want to start with verse 5. It says, have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. So don't shrug it off, but don't be crushed by it either. It is the child he loves that he disciplines and the child he embraces that he also corrects. Man, that's a good, good father, right? Is that he said, listen, man, don't shrug it off. Don't, don't look at it as, oh, man, that's just. But then again, don't allow it to crush you either. But that as his children, he loves us. And so because he loves us, he disciplines us, and he also, the child he embraces, he corrects. So the Hebrew word for discipline is yasar, which involves God's actions. 
It involves his disciplinary actions, okay? And then when we look at the word yakak, it is, it means, it's a Hebrew word that means rebuke, correction, or instruction, which refers to God's words. It refers to his words, okay? And so to kind of look at this and take this back to Coach Brooks, there was something that he knew he was going to have to do. And so he was going to have to, he realized that he was going to have to discipline, but also through some action, but he was also going to have to correct some of their behavior. And in our society today, and I'm going to say in, in, within me, <laughs> the one thing that I never wanted to hear when I was getting ready for football when I lived in Georgia because the heat is just ridiculous, and then you couple the fact that we have on full equipment, we used to have to run this big hill, um, sometimes before practice, sometimes after practice. And as a player at that time, I looked at that as a form of punishment because my coaches told me, hey, this is working a discipline within us. I said, I don't know what discipline is, but this feels like punishment to me. And so I grew up with the mindset that Whenever I got disciplined, it was a form of punishment. And in our society, that's how we look at things. When we say, oh, man, I'm disciplining myself, a lot of times the interpretation is I'm punishing myself. Oh, I discipline myself to get up every day and I run five miles. Well, man, that sounds like a punishment. And so we, we have to change and look at the narrative because, again, when we think about discipline, we think about punishment, but that's not really what discipline is. Discipline is really the art of teaching or training or educating something or someone. Many times, though, we have equated our suffering not with discipline. Our suffering is our suffering. And I've looked at it. I'm not going to say you guys, because I know you guys don't look at it the way I've looked at it. But I've always looked at suffering as, a, as something that I want to try to avoid. I want to avoid suffering at all costs. And sometimes when we were going through those extra runs, the one thing that I never wanted to hear from our coach was, is the word again. Because you know how it is. You get to a certain point, you're like, okay, man, we're probably going to run 10 and, you, you know, you kind of, you run that last one very hard because, you know, it's the last one while you've loafed and you jogged the first nine. But on 10, I'm really going to run hard because, that man, I know it's where we're going to stop at. But then when he echoes or she echoes again, you're like, the immediate response is, hey, man, but we only run 10. That's always the immediate response. That's the response I at least get from my, my players. Like, Coach Boyd, what are you doing? We only run 10. It's because, man, the suffering that has taken place. It's not only the physical suffering, but it's the mental anguish of knowing that I'm not done yet. And so when we look in Scripture, we have to, and I want to look at, look at our brothers and sisters, the Israelites. And, man, I... I love the story of the Israelites because it's such a story of, man, I, I could have served and been a really good Israelite, right? Because they went from being in bondage and being enslaved 
to where daddy of the universe comes and says, hey, I'm going to raise up Moses, and Moses, you're going to go and lead our people out and take them into the promised land. Man, sign me up. Sign me up for this promised land place. I don't know what it is, but you said it was filled with milk and honey, and I'm down, right? Because a lot of times, that's what Kemp sees. What I see is I see the start, and I can see the finish. But I never really do a good job of measuring what it's going to take to get from the start to the finish. And so, (laughs) what was beautiful about this is, is that when we go... And we look in the Old Testament, in Exodus, I believe it's 16 chapter, where God gives them some instructions. And he passes it down to Moses. And Moses in this is kind of like the elder brother. I don't know if, you're, if, if you guys are the oldest sibling, but I'm the youngest in my family. So a lot of times when things happen in our home um, and it involved me and my brother Keith, no matter how much we disagreed, if it was going to come down to us getting a whooping or getting on punishment, we found a way to bond together <laughs> to beat the adversary who was our parents, right? We found a way to bring ourselves together, no matter the disagreements we may have had. But the Israelites wasn't that way. They were excited to be out of Egypt, to be out of bondage. They were excited about that. They were like, man, praise God for this. But God began, he said, man, I got to give them instruction. And he began to tell them, like, listen, Moses, tell the people, I'm going to give them things to eat daily, but don't take any more than what they need for their household. Don't take any more than what you need. Just take this amount. I think it was about a quart. Take enough so that you can get through that day. And, of course, what Kemp goes and does, because God don't really know what he's talking about because Kemp can eat. And I'm probably going to eat more with my eyes than with my mouth. I'm going to take a little bit more. Thus, being disobedient to what God has said. And so as a result, what, what's, what's the action that occurs? The action that occurs is because I took more than what I was supposed to take, when I woke up the next morning, what I had left over began to breed worms and it stank. And here's the bad thing about something that stinks or that is stinking. Everybody knows where that sin is coming from. So you've told on yourself that I've done wrong and I've disobeyed God. And so like a really good older brother, what Moses does, he has, to, he, he has to make the trek back up to go talk to daddy. Daddy's not happy. He says, man, why don't they get it? Why don't they understand that I've given them instruction? Why are they going against my instruction? And so older brother's upset too, but... You know, Dad, just let me go talk to him. He'll say, here goes another instruction. On the sixth day, I need you to gather double what you would have gathered individual days because on the seventh day, I really want you to rest. I don't want you to do a thing. Okay, Moses, big brother, gets those orders. He comes down. He delivers them. And so (laughs) the people that were used to getting more than what they should have got, 
They, so they're used to getting double anyway, which is, it ain't a good thing because it's disobedience, but at least they're used to getting more. But then they wake up on the seventh day still going out looking for, where's the food at? Where's it at? So much so that because of their suffering and because they were suffering through something, and I can relate to this a lot because when I began to suffer through something, when I was beginning to suffer through those workouts when I was in high school and football or running track and doing those things, when I started to suffer, you know what the next thing was that came out of my mouth? It was complaint. I began to complain about why we have to do this. I began to complain about, man, why is this happening? This don't even make sense. Why are we running this much? We don't run this much in a game. Why we got to do all this? And it's no different than what the Israelites had done themselves. They had began to complain about the sufficiency of God. They became to complain about what they were going through. Why? Because they saw it as suffering. See, they didn't see it as God is disciplining us and refining us so that we're ready for the promised land. But what they were really wanting was they had gotten so comfortable with the old way, with being with Pharaoh, with being in Egypt, that, hey, we ate. Yeah, I know we were in bondage. I know we were slain, but, man, I ain't never had to worry about eating. I had water. I had all these things. So much so they complained against God so much and it necessarily wasn't directed directly at God, but they complained against Moses. They complained against Aaron. They complained against the leadership so much that, man, they cast lots to stone them. And to get new leaders to take them right back to where God had delivered them from. And see, that's a really humbling passage for me because I like to put myself in the Word. And what I want to say today is that, oh, man, man, that would never happen to me. Yeah, I, I probably would have been with the complainers because I complain today. I complain today when I'm suffering. Today I'll complain because I'll say, well, God, why is it that they get to do that and you didn't call me to that? Well, God, why didn't I get that position? Why didn't I get that job? Why didn't I get the pay increase? Why didn't I get the house, the car, the home, all these other things? Why didn't I get the notoriety, God? Why are you causing me to suffer in this way? When I want the success, right? I want the promotion. I want all these different things. Well, I want to be in really great shape, but I don't want to run, Right? Don't want to eat right, but please equip me with the latest diet pill that I can take, that I can still eat everything I want to eat. I don't even know if those things exist, but maybe they do. But what I began to find out about myself is that, man, I'm not willing to suffer. I'm not willing to suffer my way through discipline so that he can be exalted in my life. See, I can sing the song that says, 
all I want is for you to be glorified and you to be lifted high. I can sing that all day. But when the rubber meets the road and I'm dealt and I'm in suffering, am I still saying all I want is for you to be glorified and you to be lifted high? Because, see, that's where the rubber meets the road at, right? And think about this. Suffering or discipline never really happens when things are going well. It's really in our times of suffering that we begin to get refined, that God begins to tell us a little bit more about ourselves, and he brings us and he puts us on display, and we really kind of get called out because why? There's the disciplinary action, but then there's also the correction that comes along with it. And so the one thing about Coach Brooks that he was doing was he was correcting these young men, and he was giving some disciplinary action. They said that in in the preliminary round, before they actually start competing for a gold medal. They had to play the Norwegian team. And they ended up tying them three to three. Now, these young men was like, oh, great, man, we tied. This is really great stuff. But the coach was like, no. Why? Because God had gifted the coach with the vision of what it was going to take to get to the gold medal. See, God knew what it was going to take for the people to be in the wilderness for 40 years to make this journey to get to the promised land. And so right after that hockey match, he didn't have them go into the locker room and give them some speech. He had them stay on the ice to run what was the equivalent of hockey suicides. And some of the players in the interview said, yeah, you know, to run maybe three to five of those men is a lot because it's hard. He said, we were out there running for 45 minutes to an hour because the coach had to get a point across to those players that the effort you just gave wasn't going to be good enough to take you to where it is that you want to end up. And so God, given the Israelites these instructions, giving them this box to kind of stand in, he knew that, man, I got to take them out of them trusting and believing in situations and circumstances to now I got to refine them, that they begin to trust in me, that they really believe that I'm going to be their sufficiency. Like, like, not just going to pray the Lord's Prayer and say, okay, Lord, um, give me this day my daily bread. See, God was actually showing that as an example to the Israelites and to us. Don't take more than what you need because every day I'm going to provide for you. What they were used to was is knowing that, hey, yeah, I'm enslaved and I'm in bondage, but I know I'm going to have these things. What God was trying to give them is, what God was trying to say is, hey, I'm going to give you that and then some because I'm going to give you freedom. And when you have freedom, suffering is going to engage. You're going to engage in some suffering. And a lot of times, I know for me when I suffer, and I told you guys this before, I complain. And when my, if you will, when when my complaining, when my level of complaining is at an all-time high, 
what I can probably guarantee you is, is that my level of praising is at an all-time low. I'm going to say that again. So I'm just going to give you some insight into Kemp for a second. Well, my level of complaining is at an all-time high. You can probably believe that my level of praise is at an all-time low. And the reason why, because those two things are contrary to God. You can't complain and praise at the same time towards God and out of your situation. And I'm complaining because, <laughs> because at the end of the day, I want my way. And, and really what I want is my prayer has to be refined because my prayer becomes, because I'm suffering, what I begin to say is, is God, get me out of this. God, please have this stop. Please take this away. Please take away the sickness. Please take away the debt. Please take away whatever it is. Lord God, I want you to take it away. When, <laughs> when my prayer had to shift to say, God, I pray that you empower me through your Holy Spirit to go through this suffering, to go through this thing. Because, see, the Israelites, they, they, they were so blinded with their complaints that they didn't realize God had just taken them out of slavery. They quickly forgot that. God didn't, there wasn't no cell phones back then, there wasn't no maps God had provided a way to lead the people to the promised land by day and by night. With nobody praising God, amen, for the cloud by day, amen. With nobody praising God for the fire that guided them by night, amen. But what I want to know is why can't I get more? Because what you give me ain't enough. And see, when I'm focusing so much on my lack or what I don't have, the next thing that follows is my complaint as to why I don't have it. And it takes my eyes on being so thankful for what I do have. And allowing my suffering equate to me being disciplined spiritually so that now I can go through. Now I can go through and I can endure the race that has been set before me. And when we talk about endurance, I'm not telling you just to put up with it. When me and Stacy fall in a hard place in our marriage, understand something. I'm not just putting up with Stacy. She, well, she might just be putting up with me, but that's a whole other thing. You got to ask her about that. But I'm not just putting up with her. Why? Because I stood before God and I made a covenant that I was going to love her for better or for worse. Amen. And too many times when we get to the worst and we get to the suffering, man, we immediately want to bag out and we want to make comments like, well, man, I just fell out of love. Well, man, how did you fall in? Because as far as I know, love is a decision that you make. I made a decision to love her for better or for worse. And by your prayers and the grace of God, we've seen more better than worse. Amen. Glory to God. Come on now. We can clap for that. But it's sometimes it's in our suffering that God refines us and that, man, we begin to hear him. And there's no greater example of suffering than Jesus. 
when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, man, just think about that, man. You, you, you have, you're baptizing Jesus. And when he came up out of the water, we know how Father affirmed him. This is my son who I'm well pleased. Then he was led out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, meaning that he suffered. And he allowed that suffering to refine him because guess what? He couldn't just go out and start his ministry, even though he was the son of God. Because God knew that he was going to need an example. You just can't go out and start your ministry, even though, man, the mantle, the blessing, the anointing is on you. No, man, I I need to send you out into the wilderness the same way he did to the Israelites. And I need you to fast. And through that fasting, the tempter will come, but I'd have to believe that, and and this is how the enemy is, man. The enemy didn't come and attack Jesus on day one of the fast. When naturally he was at full strength. So sometimes the situations that are causing you to suffer is never going to come to you, man, when you're at full strength. It's never going to come to you, man, when you're feeling great and you're jumping and you're high. Sometimes it's going to come, man, when you might be at your weakest. And it's going to come at a time when, man, maybe all around you have left you. You don't have those cloud of witnesses around you no more. Amen? And they might be gone. And it might just be you. And you might be at your weakest point. And at that time, the enemy might come and whisper in your ear and say, hey, man, I know you're hungry, man. You ain't ate in 40 days. Go ahead and turn them rocks into bread. And Jesus spoke the word back to him. He corrected him and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And what the beauty and the blessing was, that is, he was the word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. But see, just like us and with the enemy, see, the enemy thought he was coming at Jesus when he was at his weakest. But he was actually coming at Jesus when he was at his strongest. Because what Jesus had realized through the fast is that, man, I don't need those things. I don't need to be exalted. I don't need to eat. That's why he was sent off into the wilderness. Why? He had to be disciplined and refined to really start his ministry. And see, a lot of times... When the enemy's attacking me, I'm really, I'm at my strongest. Because, see, I can say the word, Lord God, when I am weak, you have made me strong. So there's never a time in my life when I am weak. Because he's my sufficiency. Even though it may look like that, externally, through discipline, What God is trying to refine me to do is, is that when you're suffering, I don't even want people to know that you're suffering. 
because I want you to suffer with a smile. I don't want you to suffer and be heavy and be heavy laden. But why am I heavy laden? Because I haven't went into Jesus to find my rest. So therefore, I'm heavy. Therefore, everybody's like, oh, man, brother, what's going on? Oh, man, I'm okay. I'm down in the dumps. But again, when I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, what really happens? So what I've learned is through my suffering, my my suffering equates to me being more disciplined and refined, and then my discipline helps to tether me. I just learned that word. I ain't know that word, so I'm not going to claim that I'm intelligent because I'm not. Just learned that word. I was in a a meeting. um, What was that meeting? Friday. Friday. And, I, and so this part, this part of my message, I can take no credit for. Amen. I met with, anybody know Christian Stewart? Y'all know Christian Stewart is here? What, is Christian up here? Christian, like he don't, I'm doing it because I know he don't like attention, so I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> so we were talking about something, and they were saying, hey, Kent, man, you think more like a visionary. And Christian's like, hey, man, I'm more of an administrative person. I'm here to help to tether you. And not knowing what the word means, I'm like, bro, what you talking about? You here to tether me, man. You know, I got offended immediately, right? Because that's what we do. I didn't know what it meant, so you must be talking bad about me, right? He was like, no, no, no. Let me. He said, what I mean is, is that, you know, I'm here just to tether you to keep you grounded. So that you kind of, so that we can kind of work out the step ones and step twos type of things. And I said, man, that's what... That's what spiritual discipline, godly discipline does. It tethers us spiritually. Because to tether is a noun and a verb. There's the object like a rope or a chain that can kind of tether. But then the act of tethering kind of keeps you grounded and confined to where you don't, you don't move too far to the left or to the right. But you're tethered, right? And so the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus begins to tether us. He begins to tether us in his word. He begins to tether, tether us even in our times of suffering because why? I'm looking unto him. I'm doing the whole John 15 where I'm staying connected to the true vine or I'm getting tethered within the true vine. But if there's times when I don't look at that and I don't equate suffering with godly discipline and I look at it more as punishment instead of being taught or being trained or refined, what I'm going to quickly try to do is I'm going to try to break free. I'm going to try to say, man, I, I, I don't want that no more, man. I'm out. And what's going to begin to happen? I'm going to exalt myself, and I'm going to exalt my own way. And I'm going to leave. And I'm not going to stay tethered to the true vine. Because, man, it's going to be too uncomfortable. And I'm going to begin to exalt my own way. I'm going to exalt Kemp's way. Because Kemp is sufficient to meet Kemp's sufficient needs, right? And that's what I'm going to start to do. But my encouragement, come on back up here, man. My encouragement to us individually and corporately as Garden City is stay tethered or connected to the true vine. When you're going through those times of suffering, stay tethered to discipline and allow it to refine you. Allow it to refine you. If all you want is for God to be glorified and for him to be lifted high, understand that's what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to stay tethered and grounded in him. If not, and you cut loose, man, you're going to rise and exalt yourself, and who knows where you're going to end up at. 
When I cut that, I didn't know where it was going to go, but it's somewhere. And I asked Brian, I said, man, you mind what do it? He's like, oh, man, what's going to happen? They'll come down eventually. <laughs> but they just go. But that's what happens. That's what happened to me, right? There was time when I knew I was severed away and I was no longer being tethered, man, and I winded up in all types of things. And I had to go back and repent and get some things right. I had to go get some counsel. I had to go get some brothers and sisters around me to pray for me. But God wants us to suffer with a smile. He wants us to drop the complaining. And you will know when your complaints is at an all-time high. And when it is, I guarantee you, probably, man, your praise is at an all-time low. As we get ready to take our communion, this is first Sunday. This is another example of how we stay tethered to the true vine. It's by having communion with him and having that time of togetherness to sit at his table and to break bread. The bread that represents his shed body that was crucified on the cross and the wine that is his shed blood that we take and we drink to have with us. That's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of us staying tethered in him. And we're going to sing a couple of songs, and as we sing those songs, whenever you feel that you want to take this and receive um, the shed body of, of Jesus, you do so. But we're going to praise him. We're going to let our praise rise. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, for, man, for you being a good, good daddy, for you being so concerned about us that not only do you allow us to suffer, but, Father God, you are refining us through that process through godly discipline. I thank you, Father God, for your correction. I thank you, Father God, that as we get corrected, that we can receive your correction with humbleness and with meekness. Lord God, I pray for us here at Garden City that this year, Lord God, that, that we just, we continue to allow you to use us, that we may grow and abide in your goodness, that we will stay tethered to Jesus, to the true vine, and stay tethered to your word. Thank you so much for our pastor today, Lord God, uh, for the Conkler family, for all that you're doing in and through them. And we thank you for the manifestation of the vision that you have for this house coming forth in a mighty way. And as we take, Father God, your communion, we take it with meekness, with humbleness, and with a, and with a repentant heart right now, Lord. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.